Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No internet. No GPS. No text messages. No podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. everybody and welcome back to the Walking Dead TV podcast. I'm Jordan from Jersey, joined this week by Aaron Newirth and Richard Sheldon. How you guys doing? Great. Fantastic. So this week we're here to discuss episode, what is it, 512 of The Walking Dead? 512, 13 of The Walking Dead. Is it 513 already? Wow. 513. Only three episodes left for the season. Holy cow. Uh, Episode titled Forget. But before we get to that, we had some news, some Walking Dead news. So, Aaron, since you, uh, I I understand you have a job working as a writer about this kind of thing now? Yeah, I uh, started my new job today at RantLifestyle.com, and uh, it affords me the opportunity to write about various entertainment news, and one of those items that I happened to write about was this Walking Dead development, um, or more specifically, this Walking Dead spinoff development. We've heard a lot about the spinoff in a it seems like it's been a few years now since we've heard. Well, initially apparently, heard about we the heard a lot of wrong things about the spinoff, which yeah. now we can correct. So, what what are the true things about it? Yeah, now they're actually filming it, um, so we we have a little more idea of what's going on. But yeah, there was a new image released today of the of the spinoff, which is still has no title, so I'm just going to call it a Walking Dead Plan B for the time being. But um, the uh, we we already have some of the cast uh, members that were announced. We have Cliff Curtis. And uh, Kim Dickens, who are two strong character actors that I enjoy quite a bit. Kim Dickens, you can currently see her on House of Cards, and she was in Gone Girl uh, last year. And Cliff Curtis, he's just a great actor. He was on the show uh, Gang Related last year that was on Fox, but he's been in a lot of movies like uh, Sunshine and Training Day and what have you. But we have some more details about who these people are and what this spinoff is. Uh, Cliff Curtis plays this a teacher apparently named Sean Cabrera. He's a teacher. He has a son and an ex-wife. Uh, then Kim Dickens, she's a guidance counselor working at the same school as Sean, and they're seeing each other. You have another character named uh, Nick, who is he was in uh, one of the Harry Potter films. Uh, he's had a drug problem. There's all these characters. It's all set in L.A. Apparently, that's the that's one of the big things right there. It's set in Los Angeles, uh, which is different than what we thought. I know some of us thought it was East Coast somewhere. Others thought it was kind of Pacific Northwest. But we now we have been here in D.C. for a while. But yeah, I also do remember here in the, the Pacific North- Northwest thing. We uh, we now know that the uh, the show is going to be taking place in L.A. It's yeah focused on new characters, new storylines, and uh, we now also learn that not only will there be one season of this spinoff, but two. Uh, at least two. At, at least two, yeah, but there's, they've already ordered two seasons of this show. Uh, the first season of the spinoff is going to air uh, later on this year. It will have six one-hour episodes, similar to the first season of Walking Dead. That will be late summer this year, and uh, then the second season is going to air in 2016. We don't know how many episodes or whatnot yet, but I imagine that probably depends on the success of the 
the first season and how that does. So is that all the news we have about it, or were there any more details? Uh, that's, I mean, that's that's a bit, that's a bit stuff. Uh, we, you know, we got some character descriptions. We got, uh, you know, when the show's happening, what this first season's going to be. I'd like to know a title. I'm very curious what they're going to call this thing. Well, uh, let's let's put uh, let's put our boots in the ring. Is that a phrase? Let's guess right I hope now. So. <laughs> <laughs> let's put the boots in the ring, guys. <laughs> will, will The Walking Dead be in the title? Or just Walking Dead? Or will it have a completely different title? Walking Dead will probably be in it somewhere because that name has become such a brand. Yeah, agreed. And I agree as well. Do you think it'll be The Walking Dead colon whatever? Or will it be whatever colon The Walking Dead? No, I think it'll be The Walking Dead colon, you know, <laughs> sunny sunny days, zombie nights or something. <laughs> <laughs> the Walking Dead colon uh, San Andreas. Yeah. Ooh, that could be interesting. We could have uh, we could have earthquakes mixed in with The Walking Dead, as opposed to the Earth to the East Coast version, where we get uh, tornadoes mixed with uh, The Walking Dead. Or like Beverly Hills Zombie. It's about a bunch of cops, and uh, one of them's from Detroit, and he comes in seeking some business. And... Will there be a Bill Murray Zombieland cameo? Obviously, as Mayor Gunderson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can only hope. <laughs> But yeah, that's the news involving the spinoff that we got today, and uh, I, I'm more excited, I guess, than I, I think we've talked about this before. But I, you know, by knowing more about this, has me at least more curious to see what this is going to be. Well, and to this point, you know, everything we've seen for television for Walking Dead, you know, they've played in Kirkman's sandbox by his rules for the most part. I mean, it obviously has deviated a lot, but. You know, it's it's all within something that is familiar to us comic readers. So to, to get to see uh, this new creation by Robert Kirkman, or, you know, as well as others, uh, that totally breaks the bonds of the comic book, other than the world setting of the zombie apocalypse. I don't know, it's kind of exciting for me. Yeah, I would, I would agree, mainly because I love the Walking Dead game so much from Telltale, the Telltale Walking Dead game. I love that the writing going on there and how they used, like you said, the world of The Walking Dead to create a whole new story. So if this spinoff can follow in that same fashion where I'm just actually intrigued by everything going on story-wise just while still being set in a world that I've already you know, grown accustomed to, then I'd, you know, I'd be very happy to see that work out to the first best. Yeah, I'm pretty much in exactly the same boat. The, the fact that this is not based on the comics and I will have no idea where it's going, that is what excites me the most. So before we talk about the actual episode, let's talk about our sponsor for a moment. Of course, our sponsor this week and every week for a long time, and we thank them for that, is DCBService.com. That's Discount Comic Book Service at DCBService.com. And their sister site, InStockTrades.com, where you can get deep, deep discounts on not just comic books and trade paperbacks and hardcover collection of comic books, but T-shirts and hats and other comic book-related merchandise and memorabilia, um, Great discounts, 15, 20, up to 50%, and sometimes even higher. You can get great bundle deals for them, which is great. Uh, if you're looking to get a whole storyline from comics, let's say upcoming we have uh, Secret Wars from Marvel, or we have Convergence from DC, they have great bundle deals where you can get all of those stories for way, way cheaper by buying them in bulk. Think of it like Sam's Club, only there's no membership fee. Uh, you just uh, pay for what you want to get, and you can get great, great discounts there. And we thank them for sponsoring us for so long, because it really has been awesome. And they really are a great site with great customer service and great deals. Which, let's face it, folks, if there's anything we're looking for out there these days, it's great deals. And DCBService.com and InStockTrades.com, that's where you're going to find it. I just spent 80 bucks today at InStockTrades. 
And, and if you had bought those same things at your local comic book store or Amazon or something like that, how much would you have spent for that same stuff? Close to about $160 or so. Yeah, <laughs> it's worth it, folks. In Stock Trades yeah. and uh, DCBService.com. Check them out. So, Walking Dead, episode 513, is titled Forget. It was directed by David Boyd and written by Corey Reed. And we, once again, have a bunch of guest actors. We have Tova Felchew as Deanna Monroe. We have Tyler James Williams as Noah. Alexandra Breckenridge as Jesse Anderson. Ross Marquand as Aaron. Austin Nichols as Spencer Monroe. Daniel Bonjour as Aiden Monroe. Jason Douglas as Tobin. Austin Abrams as Ron Anderson, Corey Brill as Pete Anderson, Steve Coulter as Reg Monroe, I'm assuming that's short for Reginald or Reggie, Major Dodson, great name, as Sam Anderson, Anne Mahoney as Olivia, who yes indeed is the woman who uh, runs the gun stockpile and also food stockpile apparently, uh, Elijah Marcano as Mickey, or Mikey, Jordan Woods Robinson as Eric, and Michael Traynor as Nicholas. Question. Has any of the Alexandria group been listed as anything other than guest star? Um, I don't not believe so. yet, but I think that's more of a contractual thing due to the fact that they only appear partway through the season. If they show up again next season, they will most likely be special guests or they will most likely have a bump up in their, their billing. Like Ross Marquand as Aaron, he would probably be in the also starring category, I wouldn't be yeah. surprised. Yeah, something well, like that. Well, I was just curious because a co-worker called me this morning and was like, you know, hey, how long do you think they're going to... A bunch of questions, but how long do you think they'll be in Alexandria? Well, they they bumped up, uh, what's his name, um, Gareth from Terminus, giving him the impression that he'd be around for a while, and he didn't last very long at all. That's true. That's yeah. true. <laughs> I didn't think of that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's... The the show the show's wise to what people want to expect based off the seeing these kind of things, I'd imagine. I think they, they play around with that. They're toying with us like puppets. So the the episode starts with uh, Sasha, who wakes up on the floor of, I believe it's Rick's house, and uh, she can't sleep. She keeps looking around at the different family portraits that are in the house, hanging up and on uh, shelves and stuff like that. And uh, so she finally gathers up the pictures and takes them outside of the walls, uh, lines them up with a sniper scope, and starts using them for sniper practice. This is what we saw in the uh, the scene on Talking Dead last week. And she's taking a shot, waiting, listening to see if anyone, any zombies or whatever are coming up on her from hearing the shots, even though they're silenced, which doesn't really work like that, but it's TV, so we'll let it go. Um, and then once she's finally taken them all out, she sits down on a tree stump and quietly says to herself, come and get me. So as an isolated scene... I think this is fine. I think uh, Sinequa Martin Green, I think she does a fine job as Sasha in general. But I can only imagine that there's going to be more payoff down the line. But this episode gave me like nothing after that for like a while. And, and by the time it got back to Sasha, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. We began the episode with this character and we've seen nothing so far from it. But good on them for reminding us, I guess. Well, over at your, I mean, we might be jumping the gun on this a little bit, but over on your um, written review at theyoungfolks.com, Aaron, you had mentioned that we don't really know a lot about Sasha, and it really brought that to life for me, because as I thought about it, we know her last name because of her brother. Yeah. I don't know what she did before the apocalypse. I don't know what she wanted to do before the apocalypse. I really know nothing about her except that she lost the two people closest to her in her life that we saw, at least. I'm assuming she also lost other family members, and she's a good sniper. That's about what we know about. And and she's suffering from PTSD, we can see in this episode. Yeah. That being said, and, you know, being subtle here to avoid spoilers, she seems to be being set up to take the place of a character from the comic books who was in the show and is no longer on the show because they died. Which is my guess as well. 
And if they're going to do that, they really need to start doubling down and giving us some reason to care about her. I mean, and don't get me wrong, it's not that I don't care about her, I like the character, but to know something about her to really root for this character, if if they're taking her down the road, we think they are. And that's... That's kind of a problem that The Walking Dead has because of mainly the writing, where you don't get much of a chance to learn much about these people that seems inconsequential before getting you know to the to the meat of their character. Some of them have that inherent charisma or whatever you want to call it that works for them. That's why I think Abe, Rosita, and Eugene are solid characters because we don't necessarily know a ton about them, but they're just they're enough characters just in their pre- their presence on the show that I can get I can get by, and when they pop up. I feel like I I feel like oh this is these guys and I know who they are I know what they're doing I recognize their actions Sasha she's especially now given that there she has nothing to go for <laughs> except like desire to be a lookout I don't know this person and there's not much urge for me to like really like you said want to care about this person until the show gives me something to work with and if the show wants to do that great but in an episode like this that begins with her I'd kind of want to see more of her to make sure that resonates rather than check in when the show remembers to check in to say, oh yeah, by the way, we did this. Do you think this is the show telling us that they're about to give her more storylines and go more into her character, or is it just them moving ahead and they've missed their chance? I think The Walking Dead has a a knack for um, being both a trickster and kind of dumb in these kind of cases, because on the one hand, it could be setting us up to really start enjoying this character. I think Carol is a perfect example of that. Uh, but on the other hand, it could just be setting you up to like recognize that this person exists before killing them off. So I don't know. Fair enough. That's I, I I've never been like super fond of the character, but I also have had nothing against it. And you know, I after they played that scene on Talking Dead last week, I I thought that as well. I think we brought it up last week that this could possibly be the replacement for that character that we were talking about. Um, but like you're saying, I don't really care. It's not that I don't care about the character. It's like you said, I don't have a reason. They've not given me the reason to care about her yet. But with that being said, everything I do know about the character endears me to the character more than it pushes me away. And I think it would be kind of cool for her to take that role of that character that is not dead in the comics. I, I completely agree. <laughs> I give credit to Sonequa Martin-Green on that one. I think she does make the best of right. what she's been given, which I think you can say for most of the actors on this show. I do think that whatever shortcomings of the writing there may be, the actors generally do a good job of working with what they got. Oh, I agree. And if she is going the direction where we think she is, she's going to have a lot to do, and hopefully that will give her more scenes and give us more backstory and give us more of a reason to not just be neutral on the character, but to actively root for her. For sure. When she does uh, bid for that job up in the tower, when they mention that it's just a gun they stick up there like a scarecrow, I was like, what? (laughs) These people are so ignorant. Well, but Aiden thought it was a good idea. Oh, yeah, and he's he's Mensa material. (laughs) Wait, who thought it was a good idea? Uh, It was Aiden's idea, if I recall correctly. Okay, because we meet meet Deanna's other son in this episode, who's like less of a, a porch dick. Her son. <laughs> I, do love, I do love that phrase. And I think I don't have to bleep that because of something uh, they said on this week's uh, Half Hour Wasted, uh, which was back with new episodes. So hopefully that means I don't have to bleep that, which would make me very happy. <laughs> okay. Sorry, what, what, what were you saying before I got derailed there? You said Spencer is not as much of a porch stick, right? Yes. Yeah, which is kind of funny uh, because if I recall correctly, isn't Spencer 
the only son of of uh, the congressperson and uh, their spouse in the comic, and isn't he Aiden? And, and basically, isn't he the porch dick? I think that's how it was. I don't remember uh, yeah, I, them having yeah. two kids. I, I feel like I don't really need to care that much because some, some of these people are probably going to die in some way or another just because that's how The Walking Dead works. So for the time being, I'm not going to go back and race to my Walking Dead books to exactly figure it out. But now, help, help remind there. me, which one was Spencer? Was he the one who follows Carol? No, Spencer's the, Spencer comes to Sasha because um, when Sasha's invited to the party and everything, uh, the, uh, she walks to the door and Spencer's like the first person there or whatever and they talk for a bit and she kind of just brushes past him. Oh, and no, he... see, for whatever reason, I thought that was Aiden. No, Aiden, Aiden's the dick from last week. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was the same person. No, it's not the same uh, guy because his name was same. Spencer. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, because I even have my notes. Spencer's cooler than Aiden. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so maybe they're splitting the character into two roles then. Okay, that Yeah, there's, there's be... two sons. That's my... Yeah, the, that, kid that that, the kid that followed uh, Carol... That was Jesse's younger son, That was right? Jesse's little That's kid, Major yeah. Dodson. That's Major Dodson. I think he took a Major Dodson in his pants this episode. I took a Major Dodson in my pants at that scene. I was like, holy crap. His name is Sam, but I'm always going to call him Major Dodson, because that just makes sense. Yeah, he looks like a Major Dodson. When you see that face, you think, that's a Major Dodson. I feel sorry if this kid ever hears that. I'm, you were fine in the episode, kid. What do you, don't worry about it. What, what, his name's Sam Major Dodson. Why don't you feel sorry for him? <laughs> that we're making fun of him. He got a cool name. You got a distinctive name. Roll with it. You can play an army general someday, or maybe even a major. I don't know. I'm in a weird mood tonight. I apologize. Okay. <laughs> Apparently so, yeah. <laughs> so, our, in our next scene, uh, after the uh, opening credits, we meet up with Rick, Carol, and Daryl at uh, the abandoned house with the uh, blender gun. Or, or the missing blender gun, where they're discussing what they're going to do. They're going to start scheming to steal back the weapons that were taken from when they were arrived. And a walker creeps up on them, and Carol puts it down with her gun, and she empties the magazine because they, they told everyone they were going shooting, so that will be the proof. And then they notice that carved into the forehead of the zombie is a big W. So what do we think the W means? We, also, we saw this before back at uh, Noah's community, where weird things had happened. I have several theories on that. Is one maybe it's not a W because the way it fell and the camera was angled, it was an M, and I thought Morgan is Morgan dyslexic. Mate, could be. But then, I mean, I really think um, I what I think it is. I don't know if I should say because it would be definitely spoiler. Well, one thing we can say that would not be a comic spoiler is back at Noah's community, something that was on the show was, I believe it was The Wolves Are Near or Wolves Are Near. We'll start with W. There was W's on the zombies' heads there. There's a W on the zombies' head here. I would assume these are not anthropomorphic wolves or wolfmen of any type. It's probably a group of people doing this. I think we could assume that there is a group known as the wolves and that they they could be doing this or maybe something completely different. I'm thinking those wolves are another group of people that, so far, we only know them by another W name in the comic. Could be. I've heard that theory go around as well. I mean, it's it's hard to say. There are, there are a lot of groups that you will meet throughout The Walking Dead, and we've already met a bunch of them. You know, this could be like the Claimers, just a bigger group of them, or it could be many different things. I think you're giving the show too much credit if you have an episode, a couple episodes prior, that announces the character's name's Wolves, and then you have a walker that has a W stamped in his head, and you think it's a different group entirely. The show's not doing that. The show, it's, it's sticking with this, this running theme. <laughs> I also liked how Carol was dressed in this scene. Um, you know, we saw the, the first impressions of n- n- Nice Carol last week, and now, now we have an, another nice little... Uh, uh, 
blouse and combo going on. I actually on. thought it was kind of ugly. The other one worked on her. This one was kind of a really ugly sweater. I'm being somewhat facetious here. I'm just more admiring the fact that she's really sticking with this routine. Oh, yeah. she She's, you know, she's a deep sleeper agent here. And, uh... It's still an ugly sweater. <laughs> I still uh, think I, I think Deanna knows. I don't think she's fooling Deanna one bit. I think Deanna's just playing along with it for now because it's not causing any real problems. But I I think she totally you know just from the moment she interviewed her knows that she's hiding stuff something. Have we re- have we seen Deanna really interact with Carol though? Well, in the interview, Did he, does she even interact though beyond just? I don't questions. think we see the interaction there. No, yeah. I don't think we've seen any interaction on screen. Um, I'm not denying no, but, that. De- I'm not denying that Deanna's, you know, not smart or anything because I do think she's fairly level-headed and can probably see through some of the some of the lines here. But at the same time, it's like I don't really have much to go on in that front. Well, and that's what I'm basing that on is is she seems like one as a politician. She's going to know how to read people very well, you know. And I, I don't know. I just there, there's too much being unsaid and not shown in this show to where it's leaving enough of a mystery as to we don't really know what shoe is about to drop on us. Yeah, and there's certainly a lot of shoes in the air, which is nice, whether it be Rick's group as the threat or the W, whatever it is, possibly being a threat or the exiled people or something else entirely or just zombies or uh, Jesse's husband Pete, you know, there's a lot of shoes up in the air that could drop at any time, which is pretty cool. Who was not a porch dick this episode? Uh, he kind of is in a few places, but he well, seems towards to be down that, that last what scene. What did he do? <laughs> well, the last scene with him and Rick, you could definitely feel some unspoken tension there, but other than that, he seemed quite pleasant. Oh yeah, for the most part, he definitely seemed quite pleasant. Uh, but there, there was some stuff going on, but beneath the surface that we can get to when we get to that scene. That's fair enough. I can just say for now, it's not like he doesn't have a reason to do this way. <laughs> well, I don't know that he knows. I, I agree with you. If he knew everything that was going on, yes, he absolutely has at least some reason to not like Rick. But does he know anything that's going on? How he could kn- he know anything that's going on? He knows that his wife just randomly went over to the new sheriff's house last week and gave him a haircut and hung out with him all day. Did she hang out with him all day, though? I didn't get that impression. Enough she that she had to she had to have mentioned it to him. It's like, I was hanging out with Rick all day. Rick's great. Have you met Rick? Rick's a cool guy. <laughs> I don't get the impression that she's that dumb. But we'll see. Uh, we also get a scene with Michonne, and uh, her Rick discuss the possible reasons why they've been made part of security, and they wonder if it's a larger plan, whether it's Deanna trying to make them feel at ease or ingratiate them with the group. Is it all a big trick? Um it's a nice little discussion. I have nothing really. I'm trying to think of yeah, that, to there's not a lot to say about that scene. It's just kind of, it's just them discussing the things they should be discussing at this point in the show. So out in the woods, Daryl is out hunting rabbits and he bumps in. Well, actually, I don't know if we know exactly what he's hunting, but he's hunting with his crossbow. And uh, he uh, hears a noise out in the woods. So he calls out and it's, it's Aaron who says he's surprised that Daryl can tell the difference between a walker creeping up and just another human being by the sound they make. Uh, and, they, and he says he's out hunting rabbits, and they, and they have a nice conversation before they find a horse, Buttons. Aaron says that the children named him Buttons, and that the horse has been around, and Aaron's been trying to catch him for months to bring him back to Alexandria. And so they, they set out trying to uh, trying to get him, with mostly Daryl. Uh, Aaron doesn't seem to be very good with the horse, but Daryl is kind of a horse whisperer, it seems. But they are startled by some zombies, and the horse gets away. 
Yeah, um, this is the first of a few kind of very heavy visual metaphors for things, and it's fine. Like, it does what it does. But I like the I like all of this stuff between Daryl and uh, Aaron. This is my favorite section of the episode. Yeah, it was kind of an unexpected pairing, but I thought everything about it paid off really well. I would say so, and I think it it comes as a, both the strength between Norman Reedus, who's been this character, you know, for five years now, and you know how competent the writers are, and when it comes to writing Daryl stuff, it seems, and just how strong Mar- Ross Marquand has been as Aaron, and you know the brief time that we've known him, I feel like he has a kind of presence that hits the right notes for the kind of character he is without making you unsure about like i wouldn't say i don't don't know if anybody else is you know still concerned about the residents of alexandria and whether they're on the level or not but given what the show's presenting to me i don't have a reason to doubt the things that aaron and a lot of the others that we know more about are trying to do here and with that in mind i do think i I think with what little we know about aaron he's done a good job of presenting himself and seeing him interact with with daryl i think it's a a nice combo that leads to some leads to some good scenes later on as well and here's a little bit about the horse buttons, which might have seemed a little strange to some viewers, or maybe not. I mean, I thought, it, I thought it worked well on its own, but something I had forgotten about and was looking up later was Buttons is actually, and this is as close to a comic book spoiler as I'm going to get here in this episode, is actually from the comics and is a long-running, quote-unquote, character from the comics. Buttons of the Horse appears in issues 10, 11, 12, 53, 56, 57, 60, all the way up to issue 70. Buttons the Horse in the comics is actually from the Green Farm, and they bring him to Alexandria. And I had completely forgotten that this was even a thing in the comics. But no, I looked it up. It really is. Well, when you think of, like, hard-edged, badass characters from The Walking Dead, I mean, you think Buttons. So (laughs) the show, like, doesn't have that amount of edge. But, you know, you want to, when you really think back, it's like, you know what, Buttons was a pretty big deal, so. (laughs) <laughs> but it, it was it was a cool uh, nod to that, and also for sure, you know, bringing us back to the pilot again. Like, uh, just what was the thing we had two weeks ago? Oh, it was Rick. Uh, last week we had Rick in the police outfit, which was a callback to the first episode. Here we have a horse calling back to Rick's horse in the first episode. It was just really cool to see these lines being brought back and forth to show you how far they've come. And the week before last, you had the callback to Daryl's RV, or Daryl, uh, Dale's RV, and right, yeah. whatnot, so, yeah. I, like, just read, like, the most recent hardcover uh, book for Walking Dead, and I, I there's there's a part that references the phone um, that Rick had, and I kind of got that crossed in my mind, too, like, did I get, did I see that in the show or in the comic? I was, like, losing it for a second before. The phone was in both, yes. But uh, I know it was in both, but uh, yeah, it's more a more recent call to the phone. I was like, wait a minute, where did I did Rick? Ha- when did he have the phone? It was just weird. <laughs> the phone, of course, being the phone that he talked to Ghost Lori on and Ghost other characters on in in the show. Um, and I'm, I'm going to jump around here a little bit to, just to finish out the the buttons story. But they eventually catch back up to Buttons, and they're attacked by zombies again, and Buttons, unfortunately, is eaten by the zombies. There's a cool little fight in which uh, Daryl even managed to uh, spear a, a zombie onto the carcass of a bull or a goat, something with horns. It was a ram, yeah. A ram, okay. And uh, so, and we get to see that Ross, uh, Marquand, Aaron, is actually pretty proficient with a gun. He seems to be one of the more capable people in Alexandria that we've seen so far, which was nice. Then they kill the horse, which, I gotta point this out, one of the worst special effects I've seen on the show recently. That horse head puppet was really bad. Not just that. Okay, I had a problem with this scene all the way around. 
Okay, you ever watch, you know, those joking, you know, scenes where somebody is caught on the railroad track and they put their hands up and scream in terror only for the train to be like 500 yards away and coming at them slowly? That's what I felt about this, because they, they saw the zombies surrounding buttons, and they had time to react, not in hand-to-hand combat, but we just saw how great of a shot, you know, Aaron is, and... I don't understand why they didn't shoot them as they were approaching the horse. There was plenty of time. Or is that just me? Because that's what no. I saw. I was expecting them to, you know, Sasha picking the dogs off style against those zombies. And they just sat there and watched it take buttons down. I don't know. It's just me. But that's I, I, I get what you're saying. But two things. One, they're not as good a shot as Sasha is. They're good shots. But Sasha is has shown herself to be a really good shot. That being said, there was like, what, seven or eight zombies surrounding the horse. Even if they started shooting, I think they realized the horse was done for. And it was better for them to take their time and clear out the zombies rather than, you know, mess something up by acting quickly. And the horse was still going to die. And I don't know if it was here or another zombie fight. For some reason, I'm thinking here, though, where there were some shots finally taken and... I don't know, it just seemed to me like a couple of those walkers, you know, normally when they, when we see them shot or blood's flying out of them or whatever, it's all black, dark red, mucky, dead blood. There were a couple of them, and again, I'm not sure if it was this scene or the scene before or something, but where it looked like a couple of them actually had like bright red, fresh oxygenated blood flying out of their forehead. Uh, I didn't notice I'd have to go back, but it could just be that they were fresher zombies uh, or something like that. But yeah, the uh, the horse head puppet I thought was really bad. And generally, the special effects in the show are really good or, or solid. So when something is that bad, it really sticks out. It really looked like a horse head puppet. Also, I, I mean, this was well done, them, the zombies taking down the horse. But that was done practically. And I got to say, I was a little bit uncomfortable seeing... You know, six or eight or whatever adult humans pushing a horse over. Like, I was just worried it was going to get hurt. I'm sure they, you know, I know they had a horse trainer on set. Apparently it was the same horse trainer who worked with the horse and the pilot. But uh, it was a little weird seeing adult humans pushing over a live horse. The amount of, like, legal things going on with, like, PETA and what have you when it comes to using animals and that kind of way on a set, you know that they had all the precautions handled when it came oh, to yeah. a scene like I, this. I'm sure it was as safe as they could possibly make it for the horse. But still, as a viewer, I was like, whoa, that's kind of different. And I, I guarantee well, you they didn't push the horse. <laughs> they didn't push the horse over. I'm sure it was some sort of trick that the horse has. Um, on that's a good talk- point as well. Because on Talking Dead, they showed the horse handler was one of the zombies. So I'm sure he had some word or finger snap or something that as they were doing that to the horse the horse just took a dive buttons is a fantastic actor (laughs) so kind of the central linking thing of this episode that kind of goes through all the stories at least one way or another is uh, Deanna is having a a party at her house kind of a meet and greet type thing to to get everyone there so we'll we'll touch on that several times throughout this uh, this plot synopsis but uh, we go over to Deanna's house, and she's explaining to Rick and Michonne what their job is with securing the community. She also explains that Maggie, who I honestly did not recognize at first with her cleaned up so much, um, is going to be working directly with uh, Deanna 
because but Maggie, was, Maggie, you didn't recognize. I legitimately did not recognize her okay. in the first one or two shots, and then it was like, oh, holy crap, that's Maggie there. Once I think it was once Deanna said Maggie's name, um, but Maggie's going to be helping Deanna with uh, politics because she has a, a vision that one day the community will have a government like uh, the pre-apocalypse world or something similar, at least as they rebuild society. And Rick, you know, gives his concerns about, you know, doing more patrols of the walls and, and having people up in the tower, or, or I guess that might have been the Sasha scene earlier. But we get a lot of the discussion of kind of the things we've been talking about as well, the way the walls are constructed, how can we make this better, um, how can we protect against zombies and people and all the other threats that might be out there. Outside, Deanna tells Rick she can't have everyone out there walking around with guns because it would be too dangerous. And that's where Sasha comes over and tells them she wants a job up in the bell tower, being a sniper, being a lookout. And she wants to take as many shifts as possible in the gun tower. And Deanna grants her the request on the condition that her son can take uh, the tower the first evening so that Sasha can come to the welcoming party because Deanna wants Sasha there. Well, yeah, I mean, it's more of just obviously a precaution because, you know, this woman's explaining that she wants to sit in the gun tower any chance she can to shoot things. It's like, I, you need to, we need to, to meet you first before we allow you to do that for us. I'm sorry, you seem to have dropped a red flag over here. Let me just pick that up for yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so later, when we finally get to Deanna's party, the group has trouble adjusting to the new surroundings. We get to see uh, Abraham and, and Michonne discuss the difficulty of leaving behind the danger of the outside world and how even when Michonne's sword is not physically on her, it's still on her back, you know, metaphorically. We also see Abraham and Rosita uh, have a nice couple moments as they uh, they decide to drink because that's the only reason to stay at the party is there's actual alcohol there, so they're thrilled to see that. How nice was it to see everybody just like cleaned up, dressed, <laughs> at a, like it's as if they're at a photo shoot for The Walking Dead. Yes. <laughs> I almost didn't even recognize Rosita when she came in the door with Abraham. Because, I mean, just cleaned up, she does look so much different. And she was never really that dirty in the first place. It's just she's more. They all none of them had sleeves. I think is the thing to say. Of, uh, I, I almost didn't recognize before. you with all those sleeves. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, she having Abraham with her certainly helped because I I kind of agree where it's like yeah I don't know if I would have necessarily pinned her out of a crowd as Rosita, but having you know redheaded Abraham with the mustache right behind it's like I don't get that. Um, Sasha shows up, but she starts having PTSD-style flashbacks about her brother and Bob and the zombies. And uh, she, I think her somebody is complaining about something that they're worried about. No, not she wants to. She wants. She wants to. She wants to. Uh, she wants Sasha to tell her what her favorite meal is because she wants to cook oh, everyone's right. favorite meal. And she keeps asking, and Sasha's like freaking out. And then she's like, "Why?" Like, what? Well, the lady's be, worried just, that she might just, cook the wrong meal for. Her. She's exactly. like, "That's what you're worried about. That's yeah. what you're worried about." And she kind of flips out and leaves. I gotta say this about Alexandria in general. I, I like this place. Um, it's not necessarily like that I like the people there, but I like this place. I uh, I like what we're that we're getting to know what this place is and what it's all about. Where I had a problem with Woodbury, where Woodbury never seemed like a character on the show. I feel like Alexandria is already giving us the semblance of a character on the show, where you get an idea of who the. I never knew any of the people in Woodbury besides the ones that we were supposed to know. Here, we don't really know anybody beyond you know the people we're supposed to know, but we also have an idea of where these people are coming from. We get that they're kind of upper classish type folk. Um, they they haven't really seen the much of the reality that's around them because they've been inside walls for such a long time. Like it just feels like it's it's really fleshing out this area in fairly simple ways, but ways that you know get me to understand where these folks are coming from already. Alexandria already has a running joke 
you know, we never had a running joke in Woodbury that I can remember. Here we already have the pasta maker joke, which makes its way through every single yeah. story in the episode, I think, and legitimately made me laugh several times. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, and the thing with Woodbury, though, is they used it more as a backdrop for the character of the governor than anything else, whereas Alexandria is the actual setting for our plot right now. So, which is that, which is fair. That, yeah. What makes, yeah. It's it's fair, and my I think my issue with that was yeah I mean I understand it as a place for the governor and Milton and Andrea Michonne, but that was probably my problem with Andrea where she talks like you know when she was dying on the show she addressed how like I just wanted to do it for all the people I want everyone to come together it's like why you don't know I don't know these people that you know like what what were you trying to do like here I get it I feel like I get what Alexandria is right, right now even if there's some kind of dark secret that they may or may not be hiding. I at least get the kind of the, the mind frame that we're currently supposed to be in, as opposed to having to guess. So Rick meets up with Jesse and her husband Pete, and like you guys have mentioned before, Pete seems mostly polite with Rick and Jesse. He does snap at Jesse at one point, um, and later on he does some other stuff. But you know, it's it's a mostly friendly conversation, and then he goes off to start drinking, and we don't see him again until later on in the episode, but not at the party. And uh, Rick and Jesse talk for a while until her son Sam, uh, Major Dodson sees that Rick doesn't have a stamp, and I'd noticed the stamp on Jesse and Pete's hands earlier, but not on anyone else's, and uh, so Rick consents to a stamp, and Sam stamps a red, or should we say scarlet, A on Rick's hand, uh, making him an official part of Alexandria. Apparently that's a thing that was important to Sam, going around and stamping people, but for anyone who's ever you know taken a literature class, it's also a scarlet letter, literally on Rick and Jesse's hands. Another wonderful visual metaphor. <laughs> right, I was just going to say... It, they just like totally shoved that in our face. You know, it was like, it, well, that was not subtle at all. Or if you've never taken a literature class, but have at least seen Easy A with Emma Stone, then you also have an idea of what's going on here. I like that movie. Yeah, it's a really fun it's movie. A fun movie. But yeah, between this and the horse that runs forever until it gets caught and then stuff with Michonne, it's like, yeah, we're really, really nailing the visuals here. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Rick and Jesse have another conversation later where Jesse is holding uh, Judith and saying she hasn't held a baby in a long time. And they talk and eventually she gives Judith back to Rick. And then he gives her a kiss on the cheek, which is not overly sexual, but everyone, including the camera, knows there's something uncomfortable and wrong about that. And uh, it's weird. It wasn't the kiss. It was the look in both their eyes. Right, exactly. The happened. Yeah, it, it. it's like Rick knows what he's doing. Well, obviously he knows what he's doing, but it's like he understands that he's in a certain setting where this symbolizes him, you know, macking on this woman just in this little fashion because they're at a party. Like, I, it's, there's no question in my mind what's going on in both these characters' minds, which is also why I don't really blame the husband too much right now. Like, I, it's like, all right, why are you holding his baby and looking after him at this part? Like, all right, okay, bye. I guess no one ever told Rick you never go full Shane, or at least he forgot that message because uh, he did not learn from uh, his old ex-partner's mistakes. Well, we'll get to the end of this episode, but I really like this version of Rick that we're with right now, but we'll get there. I, I like the version of the character. I don't agree with what he's doing. Well, yeah, I, I'm not saying, like, like man, let's go, out, the Gavin, the let's go out getting A-stamps and having adulterous sex with people, but at the same time, I'm just liking <laughs> this depiction of Rick right now. Well, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Daryl is outside, and, and Aaron had, had told him before, you know, oh, you should come to the party, you know, I know it's hard, I know you, you know, they have a nice heart-to-heart about you know, Aaron's saying, look, I, I get it. You're an outcast, so am I, and I've had to deal with a lot of this stuff. It's not always easy, but 
you keep working at it, it'll work out, you'll fit in here, you know, it, it'll be just fine. But Daryl's standing outside of the party, he doesn't go in, and he starts walking back, I guess to Rick's house or to whichever house he's staying at. When uh, Aaron steps out from his front porch, because Eric and Aaron are not at the party, they're, they're uh, having dinner together, and Aaron invites Daryl to come over for dinner with him and Eric. Um, it's spaghetti, and they have a nice meal. And then Aaron takes Daryl down to the garage to show him that it's full of old motorcycle parts he's been collecting. And uh, he says he's going to need a bike as Deanna wants Daryl to replace Eric as a recruiter. So uh, Aaron and Daryl will be partners out there doing the same thing Aaron and Eric were doing in, you know, finding new recruits for Alexandria to help make the city, uh, you know, bigger and better or the town, whatever you want to call it. And that Aaron knows that Daryl will do a good job at this because he can take care of himself and he knows how to tell the good people from the bad people. Did either of you feel the overlooming foreshadow of Daryl's demise from this? Or was it just me? I didn't know. No. I don't know. It just, it's, I don't know. It just seems like Daryl's never allowed to have it good. And this is moving towards him having it good. And he is truly, the out of the entire group, the most outcast. And now he's going to be doing these recruiting runs and all that stuff. I don't know. It just... It but that will allow him to be outside the walls and to be doing what he's good at, tracking people and, and, you know, forging for himself. It allows him to become ingratiated with the community more so than Rick or Carol, you know, of the big three right now, but at the same time still have his space and his autonomy. And it also allows the viewers to see Norman Reedus do the thing that they like seeing him do rather than, you know, dress up like Carol and walk around. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Regarding this whole scene all this stuff i really like it um i really enjoy once again what aaron and daryl have to offer in terms of kind of chemistry together i like bringing eric into it as well there's the the way it kind of plays it the what i mean we already had like the 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 kiss between aaron and eric that sparked various parts of the internet because oh my god um because lots of people on the internet are idiots but um i i really like the way the show's kind of a it's handling that aspect in terms of how Aaron was discussing how he and Eric are also outcasts in their own way where it's not directly, it's not like just laying it on too thick necessarily at the same time. It's a little old fashioned in terms of handling gay characters on a, you know, a a television series or what have you. But regardless, I I do enjoy what they're trying to do with there and the way they're trying to relate it to Daryl, which is why I think having the combination of these two characters being, quote-unquote outcasts in their own way is quite interesting and intriguing the the way it handles such a such a tough character like daryl and balancing it with characters that are inherently funny like eric and aaron i i just i really like that balance and it's honestly it's touching by the time you get to what aaron really has in store for daryl that he you know he has a job in mind for him he has a hobby for him like he wants this person to be like you said, ingratiated into the you know the culture of Alexandria as much as everybody else, but he knows that you can't just you can't do use the same methods to make everybody fit in, and he gets that, and the show gets that as well, and it's trying its best to make that work. So while this is going on, we we've had mentions you know previously in the episode about you know Carol is going to try to find a way to steal some of the guns. She figures the the people of Alexandria, whenever they do take guns, they always take the rifles or the shotguns, the sniper rifles, that kind of stuff, and they've got buckets of nine millimeters and other type of handguns that just no one ever uses. And she doesn't think they're counted. She doesn't think they're, you know, indexed or anything. They're just sitting there in the gun lockup. So earlier in the episode, as they're preparing for the party, Carol went to the lockup um, under the guise of getting uh, 
ingredients for to make cookies for the party. And, and she just kind of took note of where everything was and also left the window unlocked so that she, she could sneak in later. So at a certain point during the party, she and Rick have already discussed that she has the, you know, the uncanny ability to basically become invisible and move throughout, you know, the group and no one notices her because of, of the role she has taken. And she's going to use that to her advantage and she's going to sneak out. So she does so. And that's when uh, Sam, inside the party, comes and talks to Rick and said, oh, I was hoping to get some cookies, but they're all gone. And he tells him, oh, well, look, I know the cookie maker and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll make sure she makes some cookies for you. And that seems to satiate Sam, except it doesn't, because he quickly follows Carol out uh, into the, the rest of the town and sees her going in the window into the gun lockup. And when she's looking through the guns, she turns around and sees him there. And uh, she quickly gives him the scariest threat I think I've ever heard of basically, if you tell anyone, I will tie you up to a tree, the zombies will come and eat you, and no one will ever know what happened. Or, don't tell anybody, and you can have cookies. Lots and lots of cookies. And I know what I think you should choose. Now, if Je- if maybe if Jesse wasn't looking after Rick's baby, she'd have a better track of where her son was. Just saying. But, yeah. Well, that's why she's a perfect match for Rick. She knows already knows how they, <laughs> they, know, they, they know where month. their children are. Exactly. Where's Major? Um, <laughs> I I don't know if this scene's supposed to be played for like some dark humor, but that's how I took it because it's certainly threatening. Like you feel the threat there. But at the same time, as badass as Carol is, she she just wants to intimidate this child. And I know what it's like for I know what it looks like when Carol has to kill a child. We've seen that on this show before. So her telling her telling Sam Major Dodson this um this horrifying bedtime story, it it just I'm listening to it like this is like amazing. I love that the music's like really dialing down and showing us how serious she wants to present herself as. But I'm still kind of laughing at the back of my throat here because it's like this is so creepy in a right in a cool, fun way. Um, it's probably the best monologue the show has ever had, if not one of the best scenes overall the show has ever. Yeah, had. probably this and like probably some scene from like Nebraska, if I had to guess, or something. Herschel yeah, said. yeah, good point. So something Herschel said at some point, maybe. But, or um, Morgan's uh, monologue in Clear, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, so if we put a top five, maybe I'll write that for uh, Rant Lifestyle. I'll write a top five Walking Dead monologues <laughs> post, but uh, like write that down right now, actually, just to keep that in mind. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that it's this is this is a good example of Carol just being really kind of like she has to you know shed that skin that she's wearing right now that she's you know pretending for everybody else and show what the real Carol can be if push comes to shove into a child no less, which makes it amazing. But all that said, I am happy that her, cook- her cookie recipe is online, and I might make some myself. <laughs> and we should also mention, because it'll probably come back up, Carol also takes a-, a piece of chocolate when she's in there, and the chocolate is heavily rationed and kept track of, and so I can't imagine that that's not exactly how she'll get found out in the in the long term, is Olivia will notice that some of the chocolate is missing. And that Carol has foil on her or something like that. But just keep that in the back of your heads for upcoming episodes. That was such a, like, defiance, like, rebel move right there. It's like, I'm going to take some chocolate, too. Like, <laughs> it's like, well, okay, doing this also. And, and that you know, that just goes to show that I definitely don't live in the Walking Dead universe because that chocolate would still be there. Please. <laughs> I would have done the whole unlock the window sneak in thing just for the chocolate, so... <laughs> Maybe they have to keep some of it around for the wolves. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's a whole Bugs Life scenario. That was my example I was going with. <laughs> <laughs> the next morning, uh, Deanna approaches Sasha, who's staring out the gate, and she tells Deanna that Alexandria isn't real, which Deanna respects uh, her, her demeanor, but she says that that's bullshit. And uh, she puts a box of ammunition in Sasha's hand and leads her out to the security gate. So it looks like Sasha's getting her sniper position. Was that the idea, that she was getting the going to the lookout spot? That's the impression I got and okay. the impression the Wikipedia summary has. Uh, I could be wrong on that. That's what I thought. That makes, I was just wondering, it's like, why is it outside of the gate? I, I don't know. I just, I guess I, have we seen the clock tower? Because I guess that's maybe my problem. Uh, I think that's where, did we decide that was Enid looking out at the group when they walked in or? From some, the, they, from the lookout tower? Or no, it was just the gun. I think we did see the lookout tower in the background when they got to Alexandria. Okay. I think yeah, so. Fair we enough. did. Now, I, I may be remembering wrong, but I, in, in the comics, wasn't like part of like one side of the church, part of the wall. Yeah, it was like the steeple was like the. Yeah. It doubled as like the wall and as the, uh, yeah, as like the lookout tower. I feel like that maybe that's my problem. Maybe it's because I'm not seeing that image that it's like I'm not like realizing what's supposed to be what exactly. Um, at their meeting spot in the wood, uh, Carol hands Rick and Daryl both guns, but Daryl refuses to take one. And Rick then goes for a walk in Alexandria where he sees Jesse and her husband briefly walking and he reaches for his extra gun, the hidden gun he has in the waistband of his pants. Uh, Again, going full Shane. And then he hears a noise from outside the steel walls between two houses and he walks over to it. And we get an overhead shot of a walker banging on the other side as Rick puts his hand with the A stamped on his hand up on the wall. And the two of them are separated by the wall as the TV Tropes uh, page will tell you. And the Bee Gees play, and the episode ends. This music cue was awesome. I love that all the way through. That said, I mentioned earlier that I really like this Rick, but this is like this is like like creepy, almost over the line Rick. And I'm really curious to see like how far it takes him, where he's 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 based. I mean, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. It seems like it, he's you know he's playing this this clean shaven constable that provides nothing but protection. But he's also, like, thinking about another man's wife and threatening, just, like, thinking, maybe I should just shoot him and take this. Like, I, I, it's claimed. such a... It claimed, exactly. It's such a... It, it's such a weird, like, position to put this character in that we only only know to be certain ways, and he's kind of went back and forth on how he wants to, you know, kind of govern himself and his people. But now he's like, well, I'm I'm safe. I'm competent that I can probably take over this place if need be. And you know what? This woman seems to like me, and I like her. Maybe I should take that too. Like, it's like, what Rick are we watching right now? But I like this. <laughs> I like this complex and irritated Rick who also like has a wants to you know get a taste of the outside by putting his ear against the wall to hear walkers and be like, oh yeah, remember those days? Like, it's just like all this stuff is going on with Rick right now that's far more interesting than I need to save Coral. Like, I just I like this Rick much much more. Yeah, it's definitely more in depth, and I also wonder, like the whole thing of how uneasy he is around Jesse's husband, or 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 whatever is. I mean, obviously, there's the whole you know, <laughs> Scarlet Letter thing going on, but also Rick, this guy's been a cop his whole life, you know, and he's been a good cop, which means you know he has certain instincts when he's around people. There are certain things that make the hair on the back of his neck stand up and question in his mind what a person really is about and i think because i i feel that her husband's going to end up being a ginormous porch dick but i think that rick has 
clued into that that something ain't right with this guy. Yeah, I um I brought up how I don't this I I don't see Ron in the wrong for kind of the way he's handling the his wife buddying up with Pete. The, the new constable. Pete, yeah, sorry. Pete. Yeah, that's right. Ron's the, like the other kid or whatever. Pete. Uh, I'm just looking at Anderson's. Um <laughs> but yeah, I did, I I, there's there's no reason <laughs> for me to not believe that they're going to create some reason for Pete to become this, you know, kind of giant a-hole or get eaten by a zombie or something that's going to allow Rick to rightfully pursue Jesse so, you know, fans won't turn on this character completely, that kind of thing. Uh, and, yeah, setting him up last week by giving him, you know, a porch dick line to say and, you know, having him this week be nice, that's a perfect way for Rick to be like, wait a minute, you were this way, but now you're that way. I don't like you, that kind of thing. It should also be noted that Pete's not just like some guy who could be easily thrown away as part of the group. It's mentioned tonight that he's that doctor, the, yeah. the master surgeon that Aaron had mentioned a few episodes ago that might be able to fix Noah's leg. Like, he has social importance in this group. Like, pretty important importance. Like, a doctor's not somebody you just want to toss aside. So, whatever happens, it should be interesting. <laughs> I want to talk about the final scene a little bit before. I want to discuss that with you guys. But before that, um, backing up a bit, the episode after the Sasha cold open, uh, we get the you know the scene where Rick, Daryl, and Carol are meeting up about the guns, and then you know at the end of this episode, we also get them meeting again to you know go over the guns. Part of why I like the Daryl Aaron storyline so much is that the the final kind of moment between these three characters where they they now have the guns and they have to do with what they want with them. Daryl refusing the gun, it makes so much sense to me that he would refuse that gun. Me too. It might seem like a little thing. It might not seem all that significant, but this it's such a, a testament to how well they kind of wrote out Daryl's character and how well they wrote out this whole sequence and for or this you know this like storyline within this episode that it makes perfect sense to me that it's like, no, you know, I I was this outcast person I've been, you know, kind of taken care of by Aaron. He's given me, you know, reason and a job and you know something to do here. I don't know if I want to give all that up for the sake of paranoia or whatever when I'm fairly capable on my own anyway. But also, I don't want to blow this. I like that a lot. I really, I really enjoy that. Well, and push comes to shove, he always has the crossbow. Oh yeah, you know, <laughs> he can take care of himself for sure. <laughs> so before we get to our Buster ratings for the episode, let's of course talk about our other sponsor. That is of course the HHW LOD Podcast Network, which we are a proud member of. If you go to hhwlod.com, you can find many shows. One of them is of course this show, but there are many others. I mentioned earlier on in this episode that Half Hour Wasted is back with its first new episode in a couple months and it's a lot of fun and a long one too it's like an hour or an hour and a half long it was very fun to listen to but there are many many other shows on the network you can check out uh aaron you are the co-host of out now with aaron and abe a new uh new release weekly movie show is that the correct way to say that what's what's the proper tagline for out now with aaron and abe a a weekly film podcast where we discuss the newest film releases yes that's correct well what is the new film release you're talking about on this week's episode uh this week we're talking about uh The uh, the robot film uh, from director Neil Blomkamp, who did uh, District 9 and Elysium. Now he has Chiappi, which is uh, a film we talk about. <laughs> I have a question about it. A buddy of mine told me today that I need to go see it and said that it's this generation's Johnny Five or Short Circuit. That's a is fair that... way to that's a fair way to put it. If you if you believe that Short Circuit and Johnny Five are, you know, fairly ridiculous characters that are goofy and enjoyable in their own way. The only difference is Short Circuit is a comedy, and 
Chiappi is uh, I, I don't know what it is because it's very inconsistent and dumb, but <laughs> take that as you will. So maybe it's not worth me seeing. Eh, not right away, I wouldn't say. Okay. Now, like... Johnny Five is the one who's alive. Is that correct? Johnny Five is alive. That's Short Circuit. <laughs> That's the movie Short Circuit. I, I, I've seen Short Circuit and Short Circuit Two. I'm I'm being facetious, Richard. Nice software. Now, Richard, you are one of the uh, co-hosts on the DC TV podcast, where they talk about the many different DC Comics-based television shows that are on the air. You uh, are one of the co-hosts with uh, with Jim, who's not on this week's episode, but uh, what are you guys talking about this week on DC TV? Do you know? Well, we just recorded yesterday, and the only DC TV show that was on last week was Gotham. Um, that was both a very great and also very inconsistent episode um we discussed that but since we didn't have much else to discuss we also talked about um the demons quest part one and two from the first season of batman the animated series nice Uh, so that was lots of fun so uh that should be coming out in the next day or two very cool and aaron i I saw just uh, the other day that a new episode of the ichapod crane a cast came out. So what are you guys talking about there on the Ichapod Crane cast? We talk about how we're probably not going to continue the Ichapod Crane cast, actually. Um, it is the season finale of season two of the Fox television series Sleepy Hollow. That is what the Ichapod Crane cast covers, Sleepy Hollow. And while we did pride ourselves in having the best-named Sleepy Hollow podcast, we were not huge fans of the second season of Sleepy Hollow. And Really? As, as the show has not yet been renewed for a third season... Uh, we're not sure if we are going to continue the show, but we also don't know if we want to want to keep continuing the show because uh, we just need it to either be massively better and be able to find time or I don't know. So there's a big question mark at the end of this week's episode of the Ichapod Crane cast, that's for sure. I thoroughly, thoroughly have enjoyed season two. So. I we really liked the the last couple episodes. I would I would say that we liked how it ended. Yeah. Also on hhwlod.com, the hhwlod podcast network, we have our newest show, the Whedonverse podcast, where they've just recently started talking about season two of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I just listened to that newest episode the other day, and it was a lot of fun. They have a lot of fun uh, guest hosts there. They even had Frank A. Rincon from Half Hour Wasted on a few weeks back. Um, this week on Jersey Shore, my uh, own personal podcast, we're talking about a bunch of stuff. Some movies we seen recently, um, the Oscars a little bit, and without spoiling the series finale of uh, Parks and Recreation, because my co-host Pierce had not seen it at the time we recorded, we talk a little bit about the show in general and the final season in general, and how it's one of the best comedies uh, on American television in in recent memory, and which is odd, because uh, Half Hour Wasted also talked about the same thing, but they were absolutely right, because it's a great, great show, and we can't wait to talk about the show in full very, very soon, and we're also going to... that is the best comedy series sitcom ending of any ever. It was fantastic. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about it with Pierce. And uh, it looks like Pierce and I are going to see Chappie tomorrow. So we'll also probably be podcasting about Chappie at some point and whether or not we liked it, found it consistent, inconsistent, and whether or not Johnny Five is still alive. You have fun with that. <laughs> I'm going to try to talk him into going to see Kingsman instead because I'd rather see that again than, than going to see Chappie. But we'll see what happens. But you can find all those shows and many, many more at uh, hhwlod.com, and uh, we thank them for letting us be a part of them and being part of them ourselves, because we, we all do a lot of stuff with the network, so <laughs> we thank ourselves for ourselves. We're kind of like the Voltron of pod- podcasting. We all come together. I call Torso. <laughs> I don't know why. 
But anyway, uh, so now that we've gotten that out of the way, let's talk a little bit about our busters. Of course, our buster ratings are one to five, one being the worst, five being the best. Uh, Richard, let's start with you this week. How many busters would you give Forget? One thing that I really liked about this episode was that it made me nostalgic for the comics. Michonne hanging her sword up, just seeing some of the interactions that, you know, loosely played from certain scenes in the comics that had me really excited and that and then also that it made it its own um the carol scene was by far my favorite scene of the entire episode um i i would have to say i give it a 4.25 i'm at a solid four i think it's a strong episode i I really enjoyed the daryl aaron stuff that carol scene was pretty fantastic i like the stuff with rick it uh you know there's not a ton happening here besides more getting to know Alexandria type stuff, but I still enjoyed the episode overall. The Sasha stuff was like, Hey, that happened. All right. And uh, I did like seeing everyone cleaned up and dressed up. So solid four. I'm going to side with Aaron. I'm also going to give it a four. I I liked everything in the episode. Uh, There wasn't anything that stood out as a negative. I liked all the individual storylines. I don't know that they added up all particularly well. They were all solid, but I would have liked to see more interplay between them. Basically, we had three different stories, or four, depending on how you want to look at it, and they were all connected by the fact that the party happened at at night. I would have liked to see a little bit more consistency in the episode, or, or just a you know thematic flow between the different stories. They were all good, but you know they could have each been fleshed out way more and given their own episodes. So I'm going to give it a four, not because it was bad, but just because it could have been better, uh, definitely. But definitely that Carol scene, as we have, as we said, maybe the best thing the show's ever done. It was awesome. But who cares what we think? Richard, over on Facebook, we have the Walking Dead TV podcast Facebook group where our listeners can uh, congregate, discuss the show, post all different things about the show, news, pictures showing us that, in fact, where they're filming Alexandria is about uh, two miles away from where they filmed Woodbury, which is pretty cool. And, of course, they can leave their Buster ratings for the episode. So what do our listeners think of Forget? Well, let's see. We had Brian Arnold said four out of five child-threatening monologues. Although there wasn't a lot of action, there was so much happening underneath the surface that kept me captivated. Uh, You can feel the tension simmering, and you know it will come to a boil by the season finale. Uh, Brent Jones says 2.5 creepy Carol bedtime stories out of 5. I understand the point of the episode, but God, it was dull. Mike Jones says 4 broken buttons out of 5. I I still like the direction we are headed in, however, not as awesome as last week. Uh, Rick looks to be pulling a Shane and setting his sights on someone else's uh, wife. Uh, Side note, Buttons the Horse could have been saved. Daryl and Aaron watch the walkers take him down next week. Hey, that's what I said. Everard Santa Marina, uh, four doomed horse hunts out of five. I guess we're heading towards an ugly finale since Rick isn't changing his mind about the situation. Susan Monk says three and a half out of five first world problems. Thank you, Rick, for pointing out one of the problems with the wall's construction. I'm sure that any of the military had arrived, they would have advised against it. Isn't there a counselor or psychologist Rick's group should be talking to? Even though Michonne's locks are part of that character's iconic look, I'm ready for her to lose the wig because it really looked like a terrible wig without the headband. I didn't really notice one way or another. I actually did notice because I was like, knowing that it is a wig, I was like, huh, they they did a good job of making it without the headband kind of look still natural-ish. 
I just didn't pay that close attention. Uh, Trisha Terrell Collins says four out of five crazy ass Carol cookies out of five. <laughs> the most shocking thing in this fine episode was not that Carol was giving that little kid nightmare fodder for a lifetime, but that they played a BG song at the end. I liked that they played the BG song at the end. Five out of five T dogs. Finally, an episode that kept me interested the whole way through. Side note: In real life, they are about two hundred feet away from Woodbury in Sonoma. Four out of five plates of serious spaghetti, says Max Sofer. Uh, no comments this week. I just really love what's going on right now. Leo Cavallis is three and a half Shanes out of five. It's now obvious Rick has become just like Shane. And by the way, did anyone notice the name of the street? Morgan. I hope that that's foreshadowing his return. I did not catch that. I did, although, as I think I posted right below that, that's actually the real name of the street they were filming on in, in like, the real world. That said, the camera definitely had that street sign in frame, and they could have angled that shot in many ways, and I can't imagine that it wasn't at least semi-intentional. But, uh, yeah, Morgan Street is uh, one of the streets in Alexandria. Chris Pierce, I give this three and a half pints of Alexandria Pale Ale. I'm excited to see the next episode of American Chopper, the Alexandria Safe Zone. (laughs) Uh, Roger Austin says, three and a half fallen horses, kind of dull episode, party was decent, Daryl dining with the fellas was funny, Carol was very good when she had lines, that's probably my beef with the show, I know we all have to spend time with the town residents, but it leaves plenty of our crew members nothing to do except be glorified extras, I'm hoping that balances out soon. Craig DeMonda, 2.25, or sorry, 3.25 zombie soap operas out of 5. What is happening here? We have went from Rick mowing down Terminus people with an AK-47 to desperate zombie housewives. Any reason why Sasha is acting so silly and grumpy? Yes, she has post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. <laughs> the the visions of the dead bodies of her lover and brother kind of indicated that to me. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> Pamela Burton says, Three out of five busters. I appreciate that they have at least one of the characters dealing with PTSD, although I feel like realistically more then Sasha would probably be dealing with the same issues. I also don't understand why no one in the group seems to be checking in on Sasha. Robert Negro says, Three choices between a batch of cookies and being staked to a tree being eaten out of five. That's a mouthful. Hezron Mack, three and a half. Daryl, I support your lifestyle choice out of five. Cool episode. Had a theory about Daryl about two seasons back that now be, be flushed out. Only gripe was that overreach with the Sasha stuff. Mary says a solid 3.75 Slurpee spaghetti out of 5. I enjoyed this episode for a few reasons. Sasha and the dynamic between Daryl and Aaron. They're all adjusting to a new life in Alexandria and with Sasha coming off two huge losses, it wasn't hard to believe she'd snap. Uh, I actually cringed when that woman told her to bring back a leg. Rick was a bit creepy and Carol was downright disturbing. I forgot about the Olivia like asking for for uh, some like a boar's leg if she can get these people <laughs> they would be like lost if they were outside of these walls for like an hour it's like so they're so right. oblivious to what's going on in the world <laughs> oh my god luke smith says three and a, three out of five great episode very happy to see the gang take notice of the w inscribed walkers i feel trouble is right around the corner richard chopper cherry charrington i gave this three horse burgers uh, members of the group from the UK will get this out of five. A good episode setting up, which is what is no doubt to come, is Rick settling in too quickly, 
Daryl is starting to come around, and Carol is a badass. Loving it. Can't wait till next week. Belinda Clark Egg, four to five new besties for Daryl. The anticipation is killing me. I know I'm being wound up like Rick's wristwatch, but I can't help myself. I was horrified at what Carol did to the child who was not who has not been outside in the brutal world. If he lives, there are going to be nightmares. And Carl Hooker says four and a half innocent cheek kisses out of five. Love the new crazy Rick look. I figure it's been over six months since he's gotten any. So watch out, chummy doctor dude. So I believe that's all of them. Yep. Yes, indeed. So do we have anything else to talk about before we head into the closeout and then our discussion of next week's episode? Two things. Um, I feel like we're just not going to get much Coral this season, which is a shame. <laughs> we we got like a one solid scene with him last week, and then you know this week we we barely even saw him, and there's only three episodes left. And I just I, I get that there's not time to use everybody in this ensemble cast, but I have been enjoying what Carl's been bringing to the show in recent times. So whatever, I guess on that one, we can only get so much. Let's put it this way. It's, it's a good thing that there's so many characters on the show that we're like, man, I hope we get more of this person and that person and that person this week. Especially instead of man. I don't want to see this person or that person or that person or for this sure. person. Especially, anymore. especially, you know, coming after seasons where we're like, Oh, this person again, like now we're, you know, more excited to see these people. Um, now we're down to pretty much just father Gabriel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really? Um, the other thing we didn't talk, I wanted to talk about the, the last scene more. What did you guys have a, like an impression that you got of Rick kind of, is putting his hand against the wall and feeling the outside. Well, I mean, I think there's the, you know, two people separated by a wall, putting their hands on the wall. Metaphor has been used in many things for many reasons, but yeah. here we have, you know, we have a wall separating the outside world from the inside world. And we have the threat of the zombie on the outside and we have the threat of Sheriff Rick on the inside or Constable Rick on the inside. And they're not really all that different. You know, one might be marked with a W, although we don't really see it on that zombie. And one might be marked with an A, but one's inside the walls and one's outside. And the one inside might be the way bigger threat. What if this is all a clever marketing ploy by A&W Root Beer? <laughs> that may be the dumbest thing you've ever said, but that was funny. <laughs> I, I, I took the scene as, I thought it was just a simple telegraphing, hey, Rick finally feels safe. After, after you know, all the time and dealing on the road and, and never behind a wall where they were truly safe, even at the prison, you know, he hears this zombie and he can go up and be within inches of its face and feel safe. You know, because there's this giant metal wall separating them. That's all I took from that. I didn't, I didn't really think it was a big metaphor or anything. Well, I, I think that's also a reasonable reading of the scene. I think, like I said, I mean, this type of visual has been used in so many things for so different reasons that there are many legitimate readings you could have of it. W what did you think, though, Aaron, since you brought up the question? I think it's a combination of things you guys have mentioned. And, yeah, it is more of like a, it's a, a reflection of what, like, Carl and Carol... <laughs> both uh brought to light or uh we can't you know we can't get weak and so you just kind of remember what's going on, on the outside and they are the walking dead and so with that overhead shot they're both kind of the same they're mere images if you will you know inside and outside the walls but. yeah so until next time, you can leave us a voicemail at 972-798-3830 or an email at WDTV at HHWLOD.com. And of course, check out HHWLOD.com for all of our great shows like we already talked about earlier. You can follow us on Twitter at HHWLOD underscore network. And so until there's no more room left in hell in the dead walk the earth, remember, 
If you happen across a pasta maker in your travels, we'd really love to shut Mrs. Niedermeyer up about it. Thank you. So next week on The Walking Dead, of course, if you don't want to know anything at all about next week's episode of The Walking Dead, you can cut out right now, but we're going to read the synopsis from TVGuide.com, which is very, very general, and then, of course, we're going to talk a little bit about the scenes we saw from next week's episode on Talking Dead and in the, uh, the next week on The Walking Dead scene at the end of the episode. So, next week on The Walking Dead, Season 5, Episode 14 is entitled, Spend. And uh, the synopsis we have is, Rick and his group face a number of challenges while trying to secure their new home. And in the, after, um, uh, the, the during credits montage of next week's episode, we see a lot of Father Gabriel, although what I saw of him didn't really bother me too much, uh, you know, given my, my normal distaste for the character. Uh, we also saw quite a bit of gunfire. It's not entirely sure if it was them target practicing or fighting zombies or fighting people, but there was certainly lots of it going off. And in the scene during Talking Dead, we had a scene directly between Rick and Pete, uh, Jesse's husband, where Pete is quite drunk. And it seems to be, I kind of skirted around this in tonight's episode, so it's not to spoil anyone, but it seems like it more that might be more that Pete is a kind of a violent or just a-hole drunk. He might not be bad all the time, but the more he drinks, the worse he gets, is kind of my impression of him. He seems more of a match for Carol than Jesse. Well, I mean, he certainly seems close to, to Ed, uh, her, her ex-husband, who was That's also what I'm saying. but more when he's drinking. It seems like he's fairly normal-ish when he's... Um, when he's sober, though, because I mean, even it, we saw in addition to him yelling at or you know raising his voice to Jesse uh, when she was trying to get him not to drink at the party, um, he also is acting very possessive of her when Rick passes them on the street and kind of pushing her along with his arm. Um, it was kind of one of those: is it just him putting his arm around her, is or is it her him you know controlling where she goes uh, physically type moves? But it seems to fit with him drinking. And of course, then he's telling Rick that he should bring Carl and Judith over for checkups as the guy is clearly day drunk. So not what you want from your doctor generally. See, I don't watch these scenes on the talking dead. So it's like, I don't have this to inform where I'm going on these things. It's a very tense scene though, between the two of them. I'd imagine. Yeah. I just, I didn't see it. So it's like Fair <laughs> speaking about, speaking about him before beforehand. It's like, yeah, I'm just going off what I've seen. Oh, I, I absolutely get that. And it helps us not spoil things. So I appreciate it. <laughs> And maybe this has been this way the whole time, but I'm, I'm starting to notice that it seems like the exclusive scene that we're getting on Talking Dead is merely the cold opening for the next episode. Which makes sense, or at least something from yeah. very early on in the episode that's not going to spoil the major plot. Yeah, um, that's always been the case, because it's... They know what they're doing. They know how to hold viewers onto the Talking Dead. Some people... Can you imagine if they gave us the last scene from an episode? As well, the I wasn't saying that, but I mean, I for some reason I remember back when usually the scene that we would get would be somewhere in the middle of the episode, not the cold open. But fair, yeah. Not that it detracts anything. I'm just saying I noticed that. Well, I mean, there's a lot of elements they have to put into that. They have to a have one that's going to fit in the time they have allotted in the episode to air on Talking Dead. They need to have something that's not going to spoil the episode overall. And, you know, it's something that's going to work on its own as, you know, a 30 to you know 90 second chunk that can be watched on its own. You can get what's going on without needing to see anything that did come before it in the episode. Yeah, not being too much of a porch dick tease. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that, that's, I think it makes total sense. So uh, with that out of the way, have a good week, everybody. Laters. Yeah.
Unbreakable. Unbreakable. They're alive, damn it. It's a miracle. America. Did how far into the season did you get? I'm like four episodes in. Oh, okay, then I can't spoil the the identity of Reverend Richard Wayne Gary Wayne. Yeah, I'm excited to see what happens well, with all this. I will only say it's brilliant. I I figured as much. This will not spoil anything because you don't know my uncle, but when the when you finally see the person I'm watching going, wow, this person looks familiar. Where do I know this person from? Aside from, I knew who the actor was, but I'm like, where do I know this person? I was like, holy crap, it's my uncle. So I took a screenshot and showed it to my mom and said, who is this? She's like, it's your Uncle Greg. And I was like, no, it's not. But it literally down the glasses, the beard, the the face, the clothing, every single thing about Reverend Richard Wayne Gary Wayne is my Uncle Greg, aside from the ponytail, which she mm. couldn't see in the image. His doppelganger. I understand, though. I get the same thing. I get mixed up with Brandon Routh all the time. So. <laughs> uh, o- only when your shirts are off, though. Absolutely, of course. Yeah. Don't be jealous of my ab. <laughs> <laughs> One other guest actor I forgot to mention. We had Sarah Jessica Parker as Buttons. <laughs> <laughs> wow. In blackface, which I thought was in really poor taste, but oh, whatever. Boy. That was her creative choice. Why is it always the black the black horse that dies first? That's what I want to know. That's, it was know. the only horse we saw. Oh, okay. And te- technically, it died second because we saw another horse in the pilot, and that was a brown horse, if I recall correctly. Or a tan... It was a light tan horse, I think. Something, something along say, those lines. It's been a while. not killing off any white horses. That's all I'm going to say. White horses are pretty rare, aren't they? Like, just fully white horses? I don't know a lot about horses. I'll, I'll make that uh, that disclaimer now. I'm not a horse expert. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a horse exporter or a horse expert, folks. I just know they make glue and dog food. I just think it's. I th- I think that they should go by code names Andy and Barney. Now Rick's clearly Barney, right? Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> easily. He's the one with the bullet in his shirt pocket, you know. And Pete's Otis. <laughs> Well, Wait. no, that that was Bob, but he's no longer with us. Who who is the barber in Mayberry? Floyd. So does that make Jesse Floyd? Because I don't does. know how I feel about that. It certainly does. I just hope the listeners are invested in this Andy Griffith show conversation. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have to cut through some of this, Jordan. Oh yeah, I always do. It's no problem. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to ask me to read tonight. I don't even have my glasses on. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, <laughs> That's what it is. It's not that he can't actually read. Yeah. As you know, Rich, I edit these shows within an inch of their life, so you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> and so until there's no more room left in hell and the dead walk the earth, remember, you can never tell anyone, especially your mom. Because if you do, one morning, you'll wake up and you won't be in your bed. You'll be outside the wall, far, far away, tied to a tree, and you'll scream and scream because you'll be so afraid, and no one will come to help, because no one will hear you. Well, something will hear you. The monsters will come, the ones out there, and you won't be able to run away when they come for you. And they will tear you apart and eat you all up while you're still alive. All while you can still feel it. And then afterwards, no one will ever know what happened to you. Or 
you can promise to never tell anyone what you heard here. And then nothing will happen. And you'll get cookies. Lots of cookies. I know what I think you should do.